one time, not that long ago, I wanted to, uh, I was in the shower and Emily was uh, standing at the sink and I wanted to scare her by mm-hmm. standing on the edge of the tub and peeking That's over the top of the, um, the shower curtain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the second I put like any weight on my foot to stand on the edge of the tub, I Did went ass over tea kettle into the tub <laughs> and I cannot believe like I didn't hit my head or my back or anything on the faucet or on anything <laughs> else. Nothing really hurt except for my, my pride, pride as I just no, like, there's not a more vulnerable feeling than falling down naked. <laughs> That's that's honestly very true. Did she? Uh, she had like being like you. sopping wet and falling down naked. Is this the show? Um, I think it is. Usually we like kind of mess around with our sound, we, but yeah, I, we. Like, I feel like our sound is okay. I mean, whatever. Or we've given up. That's the other thing. Or yeah, like, I mean, you sound it. like how you always do. I think I sound like how I always do. Um, it ain't getting any better. Yeah, no, no, no song or anything though. But I guess we can go songless for a change. We can go songless. Sometimes it throws us off. Yeah. Hey, welcome everyone. This is Fields of Work, a podcast about brothers and work. I'm a brother, and my my brother name is Sam. Uh, I'm also a brother, and my brother name is Max. That sounds like we're trying to be cool and hip and call ourselves brother, not like you know describing yeah. our relationship with the family. Yeah, <laughs> I don't we like are. calling you brother Sam. Brother Sam. It's um, it's a little culty, actually. It's a little culty, but yeah. you know. That's what. That's the kind right. of the vibe we're going for on this podcast. You All know? right. Um, check-in round. We don't yeah, have one. Nothing. Nah, but you're you're the man. This is what you do. All you do check-in rounds every day. Putting a lot of pressure on me, Maxwell. Well, I come every week with farm stories, animal updates, all types of things, and okay. I feel like you know you can you're bring. Saying a I don't. Round. You're saying I don't carry my weight. I see. <laughs> I'm not saying that. This is part of your weight. Here, I've got. I've got an round. idea. I've got an idea. Yeah. Okay. Emily, we need a check-in round question. You'll probably like edit this out, make it shorter. Yeah, we need a check-in round question. This is, this is good. Can you give um, us one? Okay. Our check-in round question is: What's your favorite thing about Emily? Oh, what's our? What's my favorite thing? I think my favorite thing about Emily is that. Every picture you guys send to our family group text, I never know what face she's going to be making. With you, you have one smile, and it's yeah. uh, really – it's hard to call it a smile. It's it's, it's like, like a, a grimace. smirk. It's like oh. a smirk, but like kind of like you're mischievous. Like you have this little mm-hmm. eyebrow thing going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's never – you're never Cheeky showing boy. your teeth. Um, yeah, it's kind of like your cheek. I don't know. Your face is – it's the same. You look at the family calendar. Every picture, Sam's making the same face. But Emily has always got great from – just, from just a great smile to just making goofy faces. She it's has a always, very expressive a wide, face. She does. It's a talent. It's a little bit, you know, like Jack Black with the, you know, mm-hmm. the ability to really manipulate eyebrows and. <laughs> I just and realized that in many ways, Emily is a female Jack Black. I feel like. <laughs> yeah, you think so? I think so. Uh, my favorite thing about Emily, man, I have to be careful. This could like get me in trouble, or I could win some serious brownie yeah. points. For any listeners that don't know, Sam's fiance. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh. Here's here's a legitimate, earnest answer. Uh, everybody who Emily meets for the first time becomes, like, her best friend within minutes. I've yeah, never she... met anybody who is so good at becoming friends with random-ass people 
very quickly. It's a crazy superpower, and everybody who meets her ends up loving her very quickly. That's good for you that she kind of like will carry that in a relationship. Not that you're she, not personal, she can but she carry that, that more than I do. Yeah, you know, in a in a in a party situation or anything like that, in a public situation, you can always rely on Emily to be making all of those first uh, those first introductions. Oh yeah, or making she's... well, I would say or making things not awkward, but she could probably make things awkward too. Oh, she's really good at making things awkward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For oh, sure. that was a real that was a real sweet check. That was around. real real sweet. Thanks, Emily. All right. Better than our normal like hockey yeah. talk and stuff. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, it's because the wings have just been so depressing for the past week. So yeah, nothing to talk about there. Maxwell, what's going on Sam at the Wolf. farm? You sent some disturbing uh, photos to the family text a little while ago. What uh, yeah. what's been going on? It's it's been a wild. I would say a wild week, but a wild four or five days. So last week uh, after the recording the podcast to the end of the week it had rained a decent amount you know an inch or two i think we've said before that uh in the summer you're looking for like an inch of rain a week for your plants that's kind of good um and most of the farms i've been at especially up north never get an inch of rain a week an inch a week uh, makes your summer. crops feel sweet yep exactly that's it that's what they that's say the farmer's almanac says <laughs> and yep. uh the farmer's so, almanac is not known for its rhyming because they did rhyme week with sweet there yeah well, it's from the olden times, you know. I mean, it's, it's written. I think it's rewritten every An year. An inch a but... week will give you crops at their peak. There you go. That's good. It only took you two times. Yeah. Um, I should write that down. But um, so anyways, that's, you know, normally you're looking for like an inch of rain. That's that's great. Yep. And, you know, in the spring it can be more because it's kind of the wet season, but whatever. That's kind of what you're looking for. So we were at the end of last week, we had probably two inches of rain. I've mentioned before this farm sits on a river. Or a creek. I think it's the West Fork of Brush Creek or something like that. So it's pretty small during the summer and stuff. And before I could drive across it with the the UTV or the side by side, you know, the beefed up golf cart. Um, and you know, if it rains hard enough, it gets impassable. But usually, it's it's low enough to where you know I could almost walk across it. It's probably 20 feet wide. Um, so it was it was already kind of a little high um, after that rain we had earlier in the week. And on Friday afternoon. Uh, all week we knew rain was coming. Um, we had seen it on the forecast. You know, you never get the best estimate. I do, because of your recommendation, started using carrot weather. Oh, nice. Uh, it just doesn't, like it, it actually tells you, yeah, and actually, I think it just breaks things down a little bit more. It'll really tell you how many inches of rain they think is coming, um, and they're usually more accurate. So uh, I've been seeing on that, they're like, okay, there's some decent rain coming. Uh, I chose Friday evening to leave the farm and go visit uh, our grandparents in Kentucky. Um, Went up to, to stay just for the night and all day Saturday. I think I, I don't know if I've mentioned on the, the podcast before. A current um, little thing my car is doing is that I have a sunroof that leaks, uh, even though it's closed. Um, sunroof and, and a rainroof now. Yeah, in a, in a heavy rainstorm, it can it can leak because it's not draining fast enough, and that makes it fun when you're trying to plan how to drive home when there's torrential rain and storms hitting where you where you're trying to get to <laughs> that uh all day saturday i was looking at the radar and i felt like i don't know what i was i felt like i was like really planning something incredible i kept looking at the radar trying to find the best gap in the rain so that i could make this drive home oh to add on top my back one of my windows no longer rolls up so i had that window taped up um pretty tight not much rain would be able to get in but i was really trying to find when i could get home and all morning saturday morning nashville had been getting rain pretty hard i think maybe they had two inches of rain that morning um i drove back early afternoon like two o'clock managed to avoid most of the terrible rain um was pretty proud of myself um pulled in looked at the river and i was like oh yeah the water's like already pretty high 
and um, kind of hung around on the farm that evening. Uh, multiple severe thunderstorms rolled through, a couple tornado warnings at one point. Tornadoes had touched down maybe an hour west of here, and the, the projection showed that storm cell coming straight over the farm. Um, so I went and hunkered down next door at the cabin, kind of waiting for this tornado to come. And it missed. It went south. And I was like, okay, it seems like things are really kind of chilling out a bit. And then I went and just was watching hockey that night. And it started raining really hard, maybe around 9 o'clock. And I'm just sitting there watching TV, keeping an eye on the radar because I am worried about tornadoes. It's like the thought of going to bed in the in this tiny home and knowing tornadoes could come at like 3 a.m. is kind of unnerving. So yeah. I'm just sitting there, and, and it's pouring, it's pouring. It's probably been raining, you know, it's like two hours now. And at 11.30, I decide, all right, if I actually want to sleep tonight, I should just go sleep next door where I know, like, even if I get a, a tornado warning alert, I feel like I'm in the more stable of the two structures. So I grab my raincoat, jump in the cat of the UTV, and dr start driving over to the cabin. And this is when I started to realize, wow, it's been raining really hard, and I didn't realize this. And I drive down the road to get to the driveway to go to the house, and – the road is a river. So there's three different ponds on the properties across the street from here. And the ponds are overflowing. The drain tubes can no longer sustain the amount of water they need to push out. So the actual sides of the, the ponds are overflowing and water's turning the, the road into a, a river. And that's all running down to the Creek. And I pull into the driveway and water is rushing around probably three inches deep around what I'm driving I'm like, whoa, this is this is pretty intense. And so I turn my headlights of the UTV to see the other side of the river, the low side of the river, which is where the barn is. Luckily, my farm fields are on this side, which is higher up. And so I turn and uh, have the headlights going across out over the, the the river. And I just I can tell the water is all the way up to the barn. It has turned our 20 foot wide river into a 60 foot wide river. Um, it is. Uh, at that point, it looked to be about a foot to two feet deep against the barn. Um, the water had come up. You know, it was still probably five, six feet short um, from the the cabin, and but it's moving incredibly fast. And you know, it's it's hard to fathom. It looks like a whole football field is underwater essentially because um, this property has an old runway, um, like a grass runway for small planes that's very low in that area, and all of that is water now. And so I kind of panic, kind of freak out because um, I've never been in a, a flash flooding situation before. How, so what was the, how did your freak out manifest? Um, instantly deciding like, oh, I feel like my – even though I've been told now multiple times that my house is very high over here. But it just seemed like the water was moving up so quickly that I thought, OK, like the tiny house could go underwater tonight. Like I don't think – I think it's moving up that fast and the rain doesn't seem to be letting up that like if it keeps up like this, mm -hmm. more stuff is going to be destroyed. Um, so I started calling the neighbor across the street. Um, what time is this? Robert, this is like 1145 at night, yeah. which is, makes it so much scarier. If this was happening, <laughs> I mean, I guess it's going to be dark, yeah. right? If it's going to be dark cause there's rain clouds, but if this was happening at 4 PM, it's something yeah. else. But the fact that it's pitch black, you know, just the street lights and my flashlight and headlamp, I'm able to just kind of see, okay, the water, you know, the, the actual river depth is probably 15 feet now at the actual yeah. river, 10 feet, maybe. Um, it's very, very deep now. And just seeing the amount of water and the, like the, the, the roads actually just disappearing to this, this flooding of the ponds, I was definitely startled. And I called the neighbor. I, he had already gone to bed, and I had to call him. You know, he, I called him probably 10 or 12 times, and his son eventually heard his phone and woke him up. And I told him, I said, you know, the water is up to the barn. Um, we were trying to keep an eye on it because if the water got to the, was starting to get there, we could head over to the barn, get stuff off the ground up to higher level, right. you know. The water's only going to get 
at worst, like we'll say four feet deep in there or something, you know, that could definitely ruin some stuff. But if we get there, we could move it. And well, the way flash flooding works is that it goes from zero to a hundred very fast, hence the flash. And Mm -hmm. so I texted him and he said, you know, throw on some rain gear. Let's go see if we can do anything. And so I was like, oh, wow, let's, let's see if we can do anything. Like, it seems crazy. And so we hopped in his, his very lifted truck and we drove down the road and basically road that was covered in water or yeah so it's currently having water rushing across it so that basically the water is rushing thinking through. like this is going to rise quickly and we're going to be screwed um knowing the depth and seeing how his at first yes i was pretty worried I and mean, he was driving right through it no problem to give you context so on the road that i'm on if you're leaving my road on the right is kind of up the hill where the ponds and the lakes are which are overflowing they're running across the road in front of us and under us and then to the left is the river um, or the floodplain. So it's running from right to left across. And when our road dead ends, you would normally turn left. There's a bridge right there that goes over the river when it's normal times. And that would lead you to the entrance to the property that has the barn. But you need to cross this bridge to get over there. And we got to the bottom of the hill and the bridge is under three feet of water. Um, you can no longer see the concrete sides, the railings, nothing. The water is just rushing over it, uh, washing stuff around it. I mean, you would not your car would not make it through. Um, we had heard from a guy the next day that drove through the water around nine 30 or 10 earlier in the night. And, uh, it was over his headlights of his car and he managed to make it through because he didn't realize how deep it was. So we sat there looking at it thinking, like, what do we, we're kind of trapped here. So we, there's another, there's a back way to get to the property. It just takes an extra 15 minutes. Well, we drove that back way, which is over fallen trees. It's, Past, we're going through deep water in some spots there, but nothing as deep as over by our property. Worked our way over to the barn, and we pull into the property, and we go down the hill to where the, the, the barn is. And water is just – it's just like hard to wrap our head around how, how much water there is. And it had you know continued – it rose past the point where we could get in there and do anything um, safely or like – you know, Up to your waist basically or – It was – I think it ended up being about – probably like 28 inches. So luckily the deepest part we saw it was probably the deepest it ever gotten there. Um, and then it kind of, it, it receded pretty quickly. By the time I woke up in the morning around mm-hmm. 6 a.m., 6.30, it had, it had totally left the barn and gone across that hole back towards the banks of the river. Um, and so, you know, that was just, we didn't, we didn't, there was nothing we could do. We sat there and looked at it for a while and then thinking like, you know, we did, there's, there was a work truck down there, a pickup truck. And, uh, his his son went into the barn and got the keys for it. And he went when he went into the barn, he was like, yeah, the water is, you know, it's up to my past my knees. And, you know, there's stuff floating around in there. Um, he moved, he backed the farm truck out and drove it up to the top of the hill. So at least that we weren't sure how much higher the water was going to get. We thought maybe it would just keep going. Right. And so, we, you know, we thought, well, this is one thing we can save. And then we drove down to that bridge. And we were on the opposite side of the bridge now just to see what's going on down here. <laughs> like. This is where all of the water is is basically being funneled to and washed across the the road, and we're looking at full size trees, you know, slammed up against the bridge and the fence that's down there. Um, we found two of the kayaks that were behind the barn had had washed up to there and were stuck against the fence, and we managed to wade out there and grab them and throw them in the back of the truck because we figured, you know, water keeps rising, those kayaks are going to disappear, mm-hmm. and so we loaded up all that stuff, and you know, got back to the to their house. I stayed at their house across the street. We got back around two 30 in the morning, just soaked. Um, uh, I was just exhausted and also just like very anxious. And, um, I eventually fell asleep around three. It was still raining. Uh, the rain lit up around 5 AM 
by the time I woke up at 6.30 and drove around the property to see, um, the, the water had definitely receded pretty much back to its normal, very flooded levels, and the bridge was standing, but very, um, had been kind of wrecked. Uh, it was crossable. They're still fixing it right now, actually, uh, every day. But basically, the reports came out that um, in a 24-hour period, we got eight inches of rain. Um with about five of those inches of rain coming between roughly 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. Wow. So when we were out there kind of seeing it rising at its worst. So that morning there was about two inches of rain. Then there was some rain throughout the day and then hit really hard uh, overnight. Um, I saw context, online time, that yeah. I think five or six people in Nashville died from flash flooding. Mm-hmm. flooding. Yeah, a couple of people. I think two was from a homeless encampment or something. And one was a car, you know, washed away and someone tried to get out and get somewhere safe and we got washed away by it. Um, it was, I mean, people always say like, oh, you know, water's incredibly powerful. You see the video of what it can do. And until you like stand next to it as right. this water is just carrying trees and we watched a concrete slab get driven to like a four, you know, like a two foot by two foot, just solid piece of concrete road get carried across and drop into the water. And we just like couldn't, we couldn't believe the stuff we watched go by. Yeah. Um, and basically it ended up being that, uh, you know, that was the second or the fourth rainiest day ever in Nashville in one day. Um, the it was, I think, probably maybe I don't know if it was considered a hundred year flood. I think it might have been a little under a hundred year flood. Yeah, I was going to ask uh, if the guy who had, I mean, has he been living there for a while? Has he ever seen anything like that? Yeah. So everyone around here will tell you about the 2010 flood because that was the one that was it was two days, 13 inches of rain. Whew. So seven inches and six inches back to back. Um, I mean, entire towns, downtown Nashville had water up to, you know, eight wow. feet deep, 10 feet deep around buildings. I mean, if you look up pictures from the 2010 Nashville flood, it's it's incredible. And um, so that, you know, he said that it was worse. It was deeper in the barn. It still didn't get to the tiny house or the cabin, but um, was deeper than it was this weekend. But this was the, you know, in the past 10 years, the biggest flood since then. Um, luckily, I mean, in terms of the barn and everything, like it's, you know, they got a a crew came out and power washed it and cleaned it up and already it's looking a lot better. Um, you know, it'll take some time to kind of sort through anything that was in there that got fully ruined by water. Um, but definitely not as bad as if it got into your home or, you know, this is a concrete floored barn and things like that. And so it's a little easier to clean than if it was, you know, inside your house. But, um, right. It was, it was pretty insane. I mean, for, and then some of the other rivers around here obviously were flooding as well. The, the big one in this town is called the Harpeth river. Um, and I think its flood stage, when they would consider it a flood, is 20 feet. It peaked Sunday afternoon, because usually they peak pretty a little bit after the rain and everything, mm-hmm. peaked at, I think, 39 feet, wow. so 19 feet over the flood. Um, I think in the 2010 flood, it peaked at 45 feet. Yeah, so very, very high. There's a, it's crazy. It's crazy to see a major city with, like, skyscrapers have be all flooded out. Yeah. So luckily this one I don't think was as bad in downtown Nashville. Um, I mean like entire town like the entire town of Bellevue was essentially rebuilt after twenty ten. I mean they've rebuilt huge sections of it because of how deep in the water was and how much it destroyed. Um so anyways, we had that come in Saturday night into Sunday. Um I mean I lucked out because the farm is on the high side of the water of the river. Um, you know, I did I, I had built all these raised beds I've been talking about and, you know, which I could tell helped, but a lot of my beds like washed away or are now flat or I see a ton of my soil from my field, like in the grass, which I can't really do anything about. 
Um, it's just one of those things where it's like, I don't really know how you protect to try and keep your soil in when, when a thing like that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, all in all, it'll, it'll, it already looks better on the farm here. You know, we were a little worried about, you know, events and things like that for the barn, but, um, the, the turnaround seems like it's, it's going to be okay. Um, and, and we have a dry spell coming up here for a little while. So at least seven or eight days without rain, it looks like. So, um, uh, the chance the river can go back to where it was, um, but it was crazy. I mean, I, 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 all I could think was, so I've got, I got a new thing to fear, huh? I got, I hate my wind. I hate <laughs> my wind. You got wind. Now you got floods. <laughs> and um, yeah, I just, you know, it's yeah, it's scary. It's it's cool. Like I always loved water, and I love watching, you know, like the as a level even when it was like you know a decent flood a while back, if the rivers were really high. It was cool to see all this stuff like floating down the river and how fast mm-hmm. the water was moving. But the second it starts creeping up towards anything, you know, property or home wise and structure wise, you start to like get real yeah. real nervous about the whole situation um so i can check that off the list that was cool i guess <laughs> to see <laughs> yeah a hundred year flood essentially wow. um so we'll see i'm hoping i'm hoping it's behind us they say usually by the end of april this these crazy types of storms have been getting here usually well, you, kind of tail off they, a little bit you know what they say what's that april showers <laughs> yeah april well, flash was... floods bring may <laughs> this was a march Flash flood. <laughs> oh right, March, March flash, flash floods, floods bring April showers, which lead to the most May, May flowers. flowers, which mm-hmm. lead to June flower markets. <laughs> yes. I assume. Um, so yeah, that's. I'm hoping that this these storms and things really really subside. I know used to love used to love a thunderstorm, but it's also it's just it's also running its course. I'm like I'm good. I'm done. Uh, <laughs> I love a I love a gentle rain now. I'm like just give me a gentle rain. Yeah. Uh, heck, it could rain every single day, just gently a quarter inch, half inch, and and you know that'd be great. Um, but so that was the first of crazy weather things to happen, and now I'm sitting over here um, preparing for three nights in a row under 32 degrees. Really? Um, oh, you were just warm. talking big game the other the other day oh, about yeah. freezing being done. Yeah, I thought. Well, I mean, you know, felt that way. Um, this is there's a reason again that you follow the normal patterns of every year, and why I haven't put, you know, crops that can't handle frost in the ground yet. Because oh, so you haven't like, yet. You're not. So you're not no. in a bad spot. I'm not like sitting over here. I mean, I have stuff in the ground, but it's all stuff that can handle cold. I might reinforce some of the thickness to uh, really keep you know the chances low for them to actually get ruined. But um, it just what it did, and this is you know. I was getting close to the point where I have some crops that can go in the ground um, that are definitely – they fall into the category of being like cold resistant. They can handle some low temperatures, kale, collards, uh, head lettuce, different things like Not that. Not tomatoes, I bet. Not tomatoes. Oh, look at me. I know things. They don't love that. Um, and so I, I had all that stuff ready and I was going to put it in the ground this week. And they could handle cold, but I just think that that – Taking them, you do try and harden them off, which is the time where I take them outside of the greenhouse, but don't put them in the ground yet. You try to basically introduce them to sporadic temperature and wind and things they're not getting in the greenhouse to kind of make it so they don't get transplant shock is what they call it. And I think even though I've been doing that, I still would expect the plants to be fairly shocked if I put them in and then three nights in a row they get 29 degree weather, 25 degree weather. Yeah, uh, they, they might survive it, but I don't know if it's really worth the risk. And the real reason I would only do it is just because I'm sitting over here like twiddling my thumbs like I, I'm ready to put them in the ground and, and I shouldn't, I guess. Um, so it's it's pushing things back like that. I've, you know, I was going to do a, a lot of planting this week and now I kind of have to just 
wrap my head around that next yeah. week is going to be a huge planting week it's fine um it looks the temperatures and everything after sunday look amazing so it'll be fine i'll be able to plant them it just makes me feel like i'm like useless right now because i feel like i've done a lot of my cleaning organizing leaning down the farm getting everything in line got all my i'm getting all my irrigation set up i've got all this stuff ready um and i just like i can't i can't do anything about it um so that's frustrating but it's just for a couple of days and you know i'm sure before i know it I'll, I'll be too busy to to be sitting around after work and reading or taking a long lunch and reading and doing stuff like that so Recording i should just revel in it your favorite big brother exactly you know I, i'd be out in the fields right now weeding and night picking, farming but night farming <laughs> night farming a thing you've ever had to do like scrap like, like strap a uh, a light to your head and go out there and um do farming stuff um have i told the chi- one of some of my chicken stories here i'm sure i have I have a chicken story that involves uh, night night uh, night chicken farming, which huh. is to say, so never vegetables. Um, but one of the earliest farms I was at, did they raised uh, meat chickens? You know, so they had these what we called them, chicken tractors. You know, they're just they're big cages. They're about you know two and a half three feet high. Man, I just had an awesome image of a chicken driving a tractor. <laughs> you you teach one of them to drive, and he pulls the one that has all the other ones in it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, it's, it's not three feet. It's like two feet high, you know, 12 feet long, eight feet wide, a big rectangle, chicken wire all around it. You put their food and water in there. And then every day you kind of move that thing by just picking up one end and, and dragging it. If it has wheels usually. Um, and you just drive it one space away until they're on fresh grass. And you keep doing that every single day. It's very, very uh, labor heavy. But what you do is you're always giving them fresh grass. You're not letting them free range and stuff and worry about hawks getting them. They're in this little, right. you know, and there may be, maybe there's 75 chickens inside this, this thing you have. So this farm did that. We would, we would raise 150 chickens at a time. We'd have two of those. And then on processing day, which we wouldn't do the processing, but we would take them somewhere. You, we would get all the, you'd grab the chickens and put them in chicken crates, which are just these crates that are really look like mini chicken tractors. It kind of, they're not huge so that they don't have a lot of room to spread out their wings and stuff. You try and keep them kind of like subdued. Um, anyways, you try and get in there and do this early in the morning because just like humans, they're sleepy, sleepy. <laughs> they're sleepy chickens and you know, they're a little dazed. I mean, they start off sleepy. Let's say this the first 10 minutes. Sure. They're sleepy. Yeah. But when there's some guy in there on all fours, gra- grabbing them by legs and hand them to somebody else, they wake up really quick. I'd like to think I would wake <laughs> up too. If I were in that situation, you sure? Yeah. Like someone rips the top of your home off and yeah. grabs you by the leg yeah. <laughs> or grabs your friend by the leg. And yeah, yeah. So that we, we would always do that in the morning. And I mean, there was my one of my bad farming memories is having not really ate a very good breakfast, kind of having an empty stomach. It was probably like five in the morning. Uh, it's in the summer. We did like two rotations. And that meant one of the rotations was it was probably a July morning. So it was already pretty warm. I'm in full rain gear, you know, overalls and jacket beca- and boots because it's absolutely pouring out. It's like the middle of a thunderstorm. And we're out there, and I'm we're just like crawling around inside these chicken tractors when you're down on their level, eye to eye, and they're just <laughs> and then you're just trying to get in there and grab them and hand them out to somebody else. And they're those people are taking them and putting them in these crates, and it feels like you never have enough crates for how many chickens you're dealing with, and you feel kind of bad. And you're like, I can't fit another chicken in there. Like, well, you're supposed to get fit. These things can hold 13. You're like, I don't know how I could ever do that to a chicken. Yeah. Um, and so you're in there and you're sweating, and I just remember like, and chicken poop is very ammonia heavy and it was yeah. really just like whoa it's, it's hurting my head and so i remember just like i came out of there and stood up and like turned to the, to the side and like dry heaved for a couple minutes because i felt like i just wanted to throw everything up but i had nothing inside me Ugh. and 
Um, that was probably the worst night farming experience and maybe my only more, I guess, morning farming experience. Yeah, I was uh-huh. picturing like – you know, out in the field with a headlamp on, just like mm-hmm. lovingly harvesting some carrots or some shit. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. We saved that for, I guess, the daytime. Uh, I've never been in such a situation where we were like, we gotta we get have to get these rich. vegetables off the ground. <laughs> we can't wait till morning. I think if you were a a farmer that grew like sweet corn in the summer and stuff, and you had an early morning market, a lot of them would pick that morning because the one thing people love doing at a farmer's market is going. Is this was this picked today? Is this fresh? And they only specifically corn because everyone's gotten to the point now where they know that sweet corn picked. You know, the sooner you get it after it was picked, the better it is. And so you get asked that question all the time. And so uh, I think some some farmers would get up in the morning and pick their sweet corn before they go to the market. But uh, we never felt that that. Are you growing any corn? No, it's the it's really we talk about those uh, crops that make no money for the scale you're doing it. It's it's one of those tastiest crop. It is the tastiest crop. I mean, maybe I should plant corn some. Corn might my, be my, my favorite favorite vegetable. How yeah. do you feel about corn? Sweet, I love sweet corn. I yeah. think I, I think actually one of my most like um, sun shining down on me farming moment where like I was like oh like I really I was like man this uh-huh. is we're doing good stuff here is when we were growing sweet corn at one of the farms I was at and we were walking out it was Steve and I at Groundswell and we were walking around the we didn't have many beds maybe three beds of corn. And we were trying to see what was available for market that week. And we went into the cornfield and we like opened it up and discovered that the sweet corn was ready. And like we just took an ear and just like just ate it, you know, without cooking or anything, just like fresh, fresh from the plant. And it was the most delicious vegetable I've ever eaten in my entire life. It was, I couldn't believe how, I mean, it's the same correlation of, you know, the sweetness from how quick you harvest it. Um, And it was that tender that it didn't need to like cook it or anything. It wasn't like tough. I don't think I've and ever done was. that. I've done that with a tomato, a fresh tomato. It's yeah. good too. Um, yeah. So yeah, I think you know if you can ever get your hands on uh, a, you know some sweet corn fresh from the field, um, maybe ideally I would recommend potentially one that's grown organically and not sprayed with anything. <laughs> yeah, there might be a, be- a better way to do it. Um, but it's uh, it's very good. I'm up there with you. I think corn corn's one of my favorite, and sadly one I grow the least probably. Um, yeah. Because people just people don't want to spend very you much. You should just you know, grow some just for yourself. I probably I, – I might actually. Um, it's probably good that I didn't plant it yet, you know, because yeah. <laughs> it's freezing temperatures coming. So I might. You know, that's one of those things like I might like I might plant some potatoes just for me too. Um, so I'll think about adding some corn in. But Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm really just sitting over here kind of – I did a small harvest this week of – we have some radishes coming in, um, more arugula, things like that. So I did, I did harvest a little bit, deliver some. Um, went and got my vaccine shot today. That's what I do that's with my exciting. free time. It was exciting. Um, so I, I was really pushing to try and get that early too just because um, free time. But also if I had, you know, on the second shot, people say, you know, they don't feel well for right. a couple hours or a day or something, uh, it wouldn't fall in the middle of like really busy season. Right. Um, the one other thing that I'll say that I've been planning for, which is not necessarily the most exciting, and I think I've talked about it at other farms. Um, we're not certified organic at this farm. We haven't gone through that process of – spending a lot of money and filling out a ton of paperwork to get the the certified organic seal um just decided that you know it's becoming way more common but just decided it wasn't really worth the mm-hmm. the time and effort um the organic label is kind of losing some of its um credibility it's like um people you know there's plenty of other words and and things and buzzwords you can throw on a crop to to get people to to buy it um certified so max you, grown that's so close to what the actual certification is. Really? So we are 
the other common one that people do now that's really more like farmer oriented, farmer based, um, kind of a community based one that is does not cost nearly as much money, um, but it follows all the same principles as organic, just less paperwork really, is certified naturally grown. Mm. Um, so CNG, like a, a certification you can get. Um, so that's the same thing. There's some paperwork. You, you do still fill out paperwork and then you have another farmer um, in the area who's either organic or certified naturally grown come to your farm, kind of check what you're doing, look at the paperwork about what you're putting into your farm, kind of basically being the certifier. Right. Um, and then you pay that forward. That's an interesting model. Either then, and I feel like you would kind of, a, you'd kind of like that. And then yeah. you would go to another farm at either that same farm or somebody else and, and do theirs, their inspection. And then every year they want you to have someone new inspect your farm. Hmm. Um, so you just don't kind of go always back, go back to the same person. So right. this will be my first time ever doing this. I've never done it before. Um, but, uh, I've scheduled, we have next month, we'll have a certified or a fellow farmer come out who's actually organically certified, um, to do this process with me. Is it someone so, you know or? Yeah. So it's a, 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 they have a farm friend. She has a farm up in Kentucky, um, who's kind of been a consultant for the couple here, um, kind of helped them get things running when they didn't have a farm manager for the, the fall. Uh, help kind of reinvigorate them to hire somebody, which I should thank her because that's why I, right. <laughs> I got the job. Um, so she's going to come down and she's seen the farm once. I've met her once already um, just because I was really throwing all those questions I had early in the season about, you know, growing in this climate and all these different things at her. Right. And she answered for me. So um, it'll be great that one, she kind of already knows the farm, but also I've met her before and uh, it will be another chance for me to still ask a lot of those questions, but also kind of talk through what it is that I'm doing. Um, and so it doesn't have as much pressure of the organic certification. Like you never know what your organic certifier is going to care about. And I think this is true for a lot of different corporations for certification things. Every certifier seems to have sometimes the thing that they really care about, (laughs) whether that's where your compost is coming from. It could be your crop rotation. They could care a lot about like, are you following a strict crop rotation every year? Like, you know, and they're really going to get into the nitty gritty of it. We had the certifier at Groundswell was like really into where we sourced our seeds from um, because there's rules for organic that Amazon (laughs) never, never that even though I'm sure they offer organic vegetable seeds now. Um, But basically, you know, if you couldn't, it was, you know, a couple organic suppliers that we would buy from. And then if you couldn't find your seed from three reputable organic seed suppliers, you could buy it conventional, but you had to prove that, you know, you actually tried and and (laughs) to get it from somewhere else. Um, and he was real, I mean, he really checked all of our receipts and stuff. And I remember thinking like, this is so bizarre. Like this is such small potatoes in terms of like everything else. Literally small potatoes, small organic potatoes. (laughs) Um, so this, I like this model a lot more. I'm excited to see if it really feels like, you know, we're still, but you know, a lot of the, here's here's the thing. Farmers want to follow all those rules that are growing this way. Like, right. No one is growing on this scale and thinking like, well, now what I'm going to do is bring in this huge, really expensive something from Monsanto to kill all my weeds. Like this is not – it's just not right. what someone's going to do. I think what this offers that the organic certification doesn't other than the time and effort of getting organic certified is this does offer the chance that if something goes slightly wrong or you need to make an adjustment or you had to buy seed from somewhere else or had to do this thing – you're when you're doing your certification and, and talking to somebody, you're talking to another farmer who will definitely understand what you're going through. Right. So you can say like, you know, we had to source some of this like potting soil from this place. It was the only stuff we could get. Like that's what we, you know, that's where I had to turn to. I couldn't get it from these other sources. And, you know, I don't know if they're supposed to, maybe they're supposed to say like tisk tisk, but most of the time farmers are gonna be like, okay, like a hundred percent, like this isn't right. your normal way. I get that this was an exception. 
Um, so I'm excited to go through that process um, and just kind of really talk it through with somebody else. Um, so that's the other thing I've been kind of trying to prepare for with this this downtime. Uh, a lot of paperwork that I can do before the actual inspection day. But other than that, that's that's the update from the farm. The chickens were all safe in the rain, you know. No no chicken losses or anything. Nothing to worry about there. Flossie kept them safe. Flossie kept them safe. That's as good. she is one as he is one to do. Yeah. Um so no nothing no new goose updates that I can think of. <laughs> and no new rooster updates either. Nah, he's played it cool. He's backed off. Um, here's the thing. I think, I think Flossie got to him. Sometimes I'll see Flossie bossing around the rooster, and I think that's a little bit of a sign of like maybe it's like he's mine. <laughs> that's 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 my guy to fight. You you stay back here. Um, but uh, no, the rooster has backed off as well. Which thank goodness. Um, I mean, it's nice to just be in the calm times. I say that meaning like we're good friends and we're not. Um, nightly routine still is still terrible, but. It's improved, so that's all I can ask for. <laughs> yeah, there, you had a lot of a lot of room for growth. Yes, yes, exactly. What about you? How was your uh, home office situation this week? <laughs> <laughs> My home office situation. I, I was trying to I was trying to segue to the similar question you asked me, but um, uh, yeah, I mean, I know your home office situation is <laughs> you work with Emily, right? <laughs> yeah. My home office is is nice. We have a nice office here. Uh, my desk, you know, faces a window, so I can look out into the park and see dogs and people. Uh, Does that squirrels. mean that Emily was relegated to a wall with no window? Uh, I wouldn't say relegated. In fact, I think she chose that wall. Maybe is what I'm telling myself. Okay, we'll we, go with that. Yeah, but we we sit so our backs are facing each other because we can't be looking at each other all day long. We'd be we'd be way right. too distracting. Never get anything done. Just looking at each other's handsome, eyes. Because I'm too handsome. Exactly. Yeah, and I've got a, so I've got my reading chair over there, and there's a printer right here, and I've got my water bottle on my desk, and my sunglasses on my desk, and American I'm Dream. This guy around here. and describing things. Pretty cool, huh? Well, uh, yeah. Other than that, let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about something else. Then uh, last week we talked that there was there was a big shake. Oh yeah, up, I gave you homework. That too, but I thought we were going to touch okay. real quick on just the fact that you updated us on <laughs> things that changed a lot at your client. And oh, you were still, right, right, right. You were, right. In, a, my main you were in a moment of flux was and leaving. you didn't really know what was coming. So my, yeah, my main like dude was leaving his job and going somewhere else. Yes. Um, things are still in flux, still figuring it out. I mean, it's almost comical at this point. Like, I was preparing – I have been preparing a strategy meeting for this team – for literally months and not that i've been like working on it every day that's not what i mean but like we have scheduled it and rescheduled it multiple times for various reasons all like legitimate reasons and Mm -hmm. now it's supposed to happen next week but his last day is tomorrow uh (laughs) and he was originally saying like well i think you know this offsite is still worth doing and i think what you had planned will still work and the whole time I was like in my mind, like, no, there's no way. Like, this is pointless to do now. And then apparently yeah. he and his um, direct reports met today and decided, like, yeah, this thing that I had planned is not, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> and instead, each of his direct reports are going to spend time with their individual teams instead of doing this cross collaborative thing. And I'm going to help one of them, I think, run their, their session. So I'm going to be involved. It's going to be, I think, a lot less intense than what I had originally planned, which was, you know, six hours spread across two days with 
uh, what, two, three VPs and at least like eight or nine other people. Really structured, a uh, decent amount of pre-work, a lot of stuff that I had to do to really make sure that we had it all figured out and it was going to be a good use of time. It's going to be much more free-flowing than that now, I think, which is fine. Um, and I think there may be some additional follow-on work because um, they also, technically my contract ends this week, uh, but they had this engagement for next week that I was supposed to do with them. So they just extended me for, for one more month. Uh, so I'll be doing this for through April. Um, some combination of helping the various uh, VPs and I don't know, I'll find other ways to make myself useful uh, over the mm-hmm. next month. But it's very, I mean, it's atypical from our normal type of project, which this has been from the very beginning. Like this has always been more of an advisory project, which is basically, you know, hang out with this leadership team, be helpful, coach them, um, find places to add value. Uh, so I'll just be doing a little bit more of that, just minus, um, you know, the guy who has been leading this, uh, this team. Yeah. Does this feel at all like, is, is there any uh, similarities to back in your life coaching days? Do you feel like you were life coaching this project <laughs> or not so much? No, no, not, <laughs> not at all. No. We haven't even talked about that. We didn't even talk about your days of coaching really. No, I mean, well, coach, yeah, I did some personal development coaching and stuff, which actually turned into executive coaching pretty quickly uh, in grad school. But I mean, there's elements of that shows up in, in what I do now, but I do it at a much higher and better level now than I did then. Yeah, they're probably paying you a little bit more to do it now. And they used to, Just they used... a smidge. <laughs> Just a smidge. Uh, yeah. Is there anything else? Uh, go, I mean, I feel like last week you had all these little, little tabs and stuff you wanted to potentially talk mm. about, but is there anything else going on? You mentioned that you're obviously going to do some writing for this other. Yeah, uh, doing a little bit more line. writing. Um, not really. You know, the project. Yeah, I feel like I have like three or four different kind of smaller things all going at once rather than like one bigger thing that is that is orienting my attention, which is fine. In some ways, it's lower stakes, uh, which I appreciate. Um so yeah, I'm kind of just taking it month by month uh, right now. I've, so I've got a question. When you're doing, I feel like this would kind of stress me out. When you're doing what you're currently doing, which is you're kind of have your toes in multiple. And that's not how that works. Mm-hmm. That's not that metaphor. Whatever. <laughs> let's go with it. You got your toes yeah. in multiple little. Uh, <laughs> yep. You're dipping them, dipping them in multiple different pools of water here, yep. uh, as people do. Uh, do you find that? Uh, let's see. What's the right way to say Not just stressful, but more like. Uh, hard to decide what to work on or what does what requires your attention or how to even structure your day when you're kind of self-managing like this and, and all four projects are. I mean, there's probably one that goes a little bit higher than the others, but when you don't have that project that is the core that you are spending all of your time on for the most part, is it hard for you to... To, to organize your days or not really is it still yeah, like i don't i get what you're saying i don't know if it's hard necessarily so much as there's just more um criteria to consider when making those decisions uh yeah. and you know when you're working across multiple projects it's a matter of you know what actual events are coming up where i need to have a either have created a thing or have prepared a plan you know, that will drive what I may do in a given day. If I have an important meeting that I have to facilitate tomorrow, you know, for two hours, that helps 
elevate that importance. And then if you don't have the, the forcing function of just actual events that you have to go and be prepared for, it's, yeah, it's, you know, making sure that you don't let anything go fallow for too long. Um, and mm-hmm. staying in communication with the various people on the client side who are expecting uh, things at various points from from us um, and, you know, managing their expectations and knowing what their expectations are so that they don't feel like I'm going silent for too long. And then because I'm ha- kind of helping some of my colleagues, it's, you know, remaining in communication with them and seeing, having a good sense of if I am the bo- bottleneck on anything and really trying to not be the bottleneck for very, for very long so that other people can be moving things forward without me having to, to be thinking about that. So I don't know, it's kind of like a fun little dance to figure out where to put my attention on a, on a given day. And like, on a good day where I feel positive and motivated, it's fun. And on a bad day, it's more harried and um, tiring to, to figure it out. And I find myself wishing that I just had like the one project that I had to do. Uh, mm-hmm. And it was just, you know, that simplicity is sometimes very attractive to me. Has it been, I feel like it's been a long time though, since you've had that situation where you had one project that was basically like, put all your attention on this project. And cause I feel like the, in the past couple of years, there's always been a couple other things that you've been pulled into, which is kind of a, seems like maybe the nature of work at the ready though, in general, Yeah, which I mean, we can talk an, about. <laughs> there's an element of when you're working at a young company, whether you, you know, I don't, we don't really conceptualize ourselves as a, a startup, but you know, in most ways we, we are, um, everybody has to do a little bit of everything. That's just, you know, there's not that many of us and there's a lot of work to go around. So you have to be, you have to, like the idea of being involved in lots of things and i do i like i have that curiosity i want to learn how to do various things so i like that and then just the nature of the way this project evolved it started with just one contract and one project and it was that situation where i could just focus on that every day but within a year within about six months other things started to pop off at at this client and early on that meant I just was taking more, me and whoever was working on it with me, uh, would just take more onto our plates while we, mm-hmm. because at the time we were not prepared or good necessarily at hiring. And um, in a perfect world, when those new projects were sold, it would have been easy, it, w- it would be easy to bring new people on to work on those. It just wasn't the reality of us at the ready at the time. So it just became me and Will putting taking on more, more stuff. And that, that happened pretty quickly. So this project has been relatively chaotic, uh, for most of, uh, of its life. Yeah. Chaotic is the wrong word. Just, you know, a lot of things going on. A lot of, a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Um, what do you mean by, this is kind of a side tangent real quick. What do you mean by when you say that you guys were bad at hiring? Do you mean you were kind of bad at finding the people right for what you needed? Or like, what actually does that mean when you said, you know, for a yeah. while there, you guys were bad at hiring? Couple, couple of things. Uh, one, for a long time, we just didn't really have a very good system for, for mm-hmm. doing it. So it was much more ad hoc and kind of who you like all of our personal networks was like our primary way for hiring people. And we, we just didn't have people who had dedicated significant amounts of time building a system 
that was really well thought out and repeatable for how to find and interview and make decisions about who we bring in to uh, the ready. And when you don't have that stuff really dialed in, every time you go to do it, it just feels like a ton of work. And mm-hmm. it not only is it, it's one thing if it was a ton of work and you always got someone who was like, great, but we were doing a ton of work and like not necessarily being super thrilled with the folks that we had had brought on. And tied, and this is not a hiring thing, but it was something else that we were bad at for a long time was like the onboarding and training. Because Mm -hmm. when you're really small, there is no, there's nothing to really onboard people to. There's no real training. There's just like, hey, here's someone who's been here longer than you. Go do the work now. And like, that's your, that's your onboarding. That's your training. That, however, is not, not everybody thrives in that sort of environment. Some people do. Mm -hmm. Um, And there is an element of, you kind of have to be you have to be up for that if you're going to work at a really young small company like if you want a lot of structure and stability like go work at a huge company that's been there for 50 years don't go work at a 20 person company that's been there for 5 years however mm-hmm. we could have been better at that sooner uh, but at the time we were not great at hiring and then once we did hire we were not great at training and bringing people on so even if we did hire someone it's not like on day one we could just hand them a new project without them having like really knowing anything about the ready or how we do this work so actually every time we hired someone it was a shit ton of work to get them up to speed and it was honestly easier for us to just take on more of the actual client work (laughs) than it was to hire someone to like take it off our plate and only in the last like i don't know six to eight months have we fixed that on my current client project and have actually hired really great people who are incredibly capable. And now we're doing a bunch more stuff at the client that I am very minimally involved in. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, it does make sense. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's the, it's the not exciting necessarily work when you're starting a company of like, uh, I mean, also when you guys were so new, I'm sure you're not always thinking right away, like, all right, how do we have good training material for when we hire more people for now? It's like, let's just keep doing the work. And if yeah. we ever have to hire somebody, we'll hire somebody. There's um, such but, a, um, yeah. when you're small, you don't have a lot of wiggle room. It's not like we're sitting on a huge bank. So mm-hmm. every time you hire someone that adds more overhead and you need to make sure that you are going to continue selling work to be able to afford that person. So each decision each time you decide to bring somebody on it's such a early on it's such like a huge percentage of your overall um company you know going from yeah from i'm, I'm gonna mess up the math but like going from like three people to four people is such a huge percentage difference than going from like 50 to 51 you know yeah um and that's that is tough when you're really when you're really small and even well, now, just, like, we're up to like yeah. 20 or 21 or whatever. And we've hired the most in the past year than we ever have. And even now, every time we add somebody, like it really changes the dynamic of the, the organization. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say that's that's uh, a very real thing for – well, I'm the smallest scale of one man on this farm currently. Yeah. But just in general, when when farms, the, the same thing goes where your you know, profit margin, everything is so narrow, um, you're mm-hmm. – you're, window for how much money you make is really dependent on how efficient you are and you know like all these different things and every you know this is true for most companies every you know our biggest expense is always going to be labor and so you really have to decide if hiring somebody is really going to actually increase the amount of money you make um or is it just going to lessen your load a little bit or you know could you just let that field go to weeds and have it 
still get a harvest out of it and decide, you know, it's fine that it's, it's cheaper than having, we hired somebody else who could have helped us weed it. Um, I mean, those numbers and everything are so narrow on a small farm that that's the kind of stuff that even we like will struggle with this year to decide like, all right, am I going to hire somebody or am I going to try and, you know, gear up enough volunteers out here enough days a week to, to make it work? Can I just, you know, sustainably, but not really not drive myself into the ground and work really long summer hours and make things work. And, you know, maybe you could do that for one year because you love the job, but (laughs) the next year it's, it'll, it'll be harder and harder. So yeah, I can see um, that being really, really tough for your industry. We're fortunate in that corporate consulting, we're generally dealing with pretty healthy margins. We have a lot more control yeah. over what our, our margins are, are going to be. But the whole, the say, the principle stays the, the same, you know, yeah. are you, is, is bringing someone on, are they going to actually help us be able to do more work? And, uh, or like how long will it take them to get up to speed so that we can actually do more work and they're not actually just bringing us, like slowing us down or holding us back? Yeah, that was the fun. This, this reminds me of, and I think I talked about it a little bit last year, but the farm that I worked on just for the three months there, or a couple of weeks there, um, where I was laid off last year, which was a nonprofit. Um, and at that farm, they normally had, you know, that was the farm that had maybe a six-person crew or five-person crew, and then they had 2,500 volunteers a year, you know, something wow, crazy. Yeah. Um, and it was part of why their farm was immaculate. And But that year, we couldn't have, he couldn't have volunteers, so they hired a bigger crew. And, you know, that was a crew of... 10 people and you know i think that was the farm crew too where the average experience was like six or seven years farming which is insane right and um doug who was the manager of that farm said like you know this is it's incredible how much more efficient we are with 10 seasoned farmers versus 3,000 people that come through the farm you know a normal farm day for them before would have been you know 30 people on the farm 25 volunteers and five employees and you know maybe more than that an afternoon another group would come in um, it's just that the same idea too of like, you know, at the other, uh, the other direction is you can, you can have unskilled labor, or unskilled help or low skilled help that actually is way bigger detriment to you than if you just found somebody either waited and then found somebody that was high quality or, that's you know, what I, that's what I was when I first started at the ready and, uh, yeah. uh, I was the unskilled labor who was, <laughs> I think pretty much just holding Aaron back for a while, uh, but was able to, I think fight through that. Well, you must have been skilled enough for him to still hire you, which is to say something pretty big there, considering you were what the, the first hire. So yeah. <laughs> you couldn't have sucked too much because there had to have been, you know, if you did, there were people ahead of you that he should have hired then. Yeah. No offense. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told, if I told the story of like, well, about, about like, I mean, I know I talk, told about like how, you know, I worked at Aaron's previous company, but only for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but the funny thing is like, Aaron was not involved in hiring me at his previous company. Um, I'm oh, really? this, this is going to be a bummer. Hold on. Uh, mute, 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 mute button. Oh, oh I hit the mute. button and it didn't work. It didn't work. I did hit the button, that. though. That's, I'm sure you did. I tried to hit the button. If it happens again, I'll do so much better hitting the button. Um, okay. He didn't hire me. Like I never, I never even had a conversation with Aaron when I worked at Undercurrent. Um, one of the other managing directors was the one who I had all my conversations with and who I hired or who hired me. Um, and then when, uh, undercurrent went under, I, um, was looking for another job, obviously. And, um, I wrote an article called, um, the, like the 21st century organizational design firm or something like that, which was 
me just like describing the consulting company that I like was looking for and wanted to do work with. And Aaron said that he saw me write that article and it basically in large swaths of it was essentially what he wanted to do with the ready. So he was like, okay, I need to like reach out to you and see if you're interested in like helping me do this thing. Cause obviously you're thinking about it the same way that I am thinking about it. So I thought that was, that was cool. And I'm glad that my writing um, had a positive out outcome for me. Because there's another world there where Aaron reads that article. And and goes, like, oh, what? No. Idiot. <laughs> yeah. Never hire this guy. Red lip. I mean, I'm Mark sure there are now. plenty of people who have read things that I have written and who are like, come on, look at this this guy. This joker. What, what a dummy. Well, look at you now, Sam. Look at me now, sneezing on a podcast. Yep. Um, it's up to you. Do you want to – mommy to even go into one idea? So last episode, Sam gave me homework. And I didn't flunk, but I did only a little bit of it because I forgot about it. And the homework uh, was, was to was watch a talk that Aaron Dignan gave at this conference called Teal Around the World, uh, which is essentially Teal is – I mean not to go too far into it, but essentially the people who were at this conference are people who many of them are going to be aware of the ready. They're either – members of organizations who are trying to be the type of organization that we are trying to create with, within our clients, or they are consultants who are doing similar work to us or practitioners within these organizations who are maybe doing the same type of work, but they are internal uh, change agents. So they asked Aaron to speak about um, like how we do things at the ready, actually. And as far as I know, I mean, Aaron has not given like a specific speech talking about things that we do at the ready and what has worked and what has not worked and what we've learned. So I thought it was a potentially interesting thing for us to talk a little bit about. We're running long. So maybe just like one idea from the first part of the the talk that you maybe thought was interesting or you had a question about and we can wrap up uh, there. Yeah, I do. I definitely think everyone or anyone that's ever been curious about what it is you do or who you work for should go watch it because um it's just interesting to see or read the book uh also <laughs> also helps. helpful yeah um but no i think the i mean the first one's not necessarily a question but something uh i can work a question into it but one of the first things he talks about is that you guys you know try to foster essentially what you'd be called like you know an experiment culture where you know you guys he had the three different things there, but one of them was experimenting. And, you know, he said at times maybe to a fault, like you guys do too much of that. But um, I was curious because obviously right away I could see, okay, this jives so much with Sam's personal life of those who know you. You used to do the 30-day, you know, challenge thing where you now. would change. <laughs> What's that? I do basically weekly experiments now. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. So you used to do these, these monthly ones. And then last year we know we had the, 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 each month it was a different thing that you would talk about. And, you know, so we've gone through a lot of those. Um, I was curious if, was that a thing that you brought to the ready or was it a thing that Aaron was kind of already very into that, you know, was one of those things that matched up well between the two of you? Or I feel like just the idea of experiment culture is something that like so vividly makes me think of you <laughs> that like yeah. it seems like when when he talked about that that was like this seems like a thing sam pitched hard for at the ready or maybe it was a thing that already naturally occurred and, and it's part of aaron's you know personal um, yeah. working style as well but yeah it's really hard to like identify specific things that you can point to anybody who is early to the ready and say like, oh, this person brought this, this person brought this. Like we all bring 
like we all share the same principles for the most part and maybe there are a few like specific things or specific takes on thing that we all brought i don't think like the idea of an organization experimenting was something that i you know uniquely introduced to what we were doing uh but just as you mentioned given what i care about and what i like doing it is the type of thing that if I didn't bring any sort of idea around that, I've certainly been reinforcing it and I'm very bought into the idea of what it means to do these little experiments where you can learn about yourself and about your organization and figure out how to how to make things go uh, better. Uh, so, you know, yeah, I don't think I brought it, but, you know, I I can see why you would say that. You just live it, you know? Yeah, that's um, right. Maybe I'll just ask to we just to finish on this note of this one idea. Um, what are I mean? So I haven't watched the whole video yet, but what are some of the things within the ready that came from essentially this that that have stuck around that came from this experimenting kind of thing? So I know you guys have gone through a bunch of different pay things and different things like that. Are there one or two where you feel like are like prime examples of like we experimented with this thing, messed around with it, and then found it was good and we kept it? that like really stand out to you or I mean like literally everything that we do internally to even like how we do the work is either an ongoing experiment um, or was an experiment at at one time and I think even a lot of the stuff that we have done for a while um, may not always stay that way because I think part of it is that part of having really taking the experiment culture seriously is the idea that even the things that you think are stable and uh immutable at some point um probably shouldn't be and you know for Mm -hmm. example we have been playing around with our own kind of internal operating rhythm for a long time the series of meetings that we have we have gone from meeting every week as a full company to do what we call an action meeting to having like two or three different types of meetings through throughout the week to now we have one meeting a week it's on friday mornings and it's it's there's one of four different types of meetings and we rotate through them one each week per you know basically one each meeting type goes one time per month mm-hmm. um and we've been doing that now for a while and i don't foresee i don't foresee that basic idea changing i think the the makeup of those four meetings could potentially change over time and they have recently changed uh, actually um i mean i think the our um compensation system right now which is the the self-set pay the the transparent self-set pay we've been doing that now for a while um and there are certainly challenges and stuff with it but i don't see us i don't see a strong internal movement to move to something else at this point and we have so far like built up so much other structure kind of around that idea that i don't see that basic idea going anywhere anytime soon but i could certainly see a point at some point in the future where we decide hey you know what there's actually too much overhead here or there's some other sort of risk that we have learned about as we have done this and we actually want to go to maybe a more traditional salary system or some major tweak to what we're, we're currently doing. Um, trying to think what else. I mean, I think one of the things that has been the same since day one is our retreat schedule. So once a mm-hmm. trimester, three times a year, bringing everybody together to 
do uh, a couple of days of retreat, what we call <laughs> bless you, our uh, our ready ready week where we don't do any client work. Um, wow, Emily's just blowing uh, up over there. Sheesh. Uh, <laughs> Goodness. Uh, that's been true from the very beginning. And even though, you know, the first retreat was like four or five of us sitting around a conference room in the office where we already worked, um, you know, compared to our last one that was in person was in Charleston, South Carolina, and we flew our members from Europe over there and we had a couple incredible dinners and like it was very fancy. Um, mm-hmm. That basic idea, though, of us taking that time really seriously um, I don't see changing anytime soon. And maybe that doesn't even qualify as an experiment. I mean, we, we certainly experiment with how we run those. We yeah. have really changed over time, like the way we run these retreats. And it has also gotten to a bit more of a stable place as well, where before we would rotate responsibility for planning the retreat and everybody would kind of like start from scratch. Uh, but now over the past couple of years, we have basically, we do basically the same thing in the same order. Um, but a lot of that is just open space where anybody can bring anything. And, um, you know, the, the stuff that doesn't change are these kind of key strategic conversations we need to have. And then the rest is open space for the most part. So it has a, it's a nice combination of variety, um, and giving space to whatever is important in the moment, because that stuff certainly changes based on what's going on in the business, but also, just making the the stuff that we know that we need to talk about on a regular cadence, like just protecting that time and making sure that we, we take it seriously. That has felt good and stable now for a while. Cool. I was going to ask if, I mean, now that you did just mention a couple of things that have stayed kind of consistent. Is it ever like, um, do you ever wish there were more things that were constant <laughs> that weren't changing as often? Yeah. No, I, I mean, mean, it sounds I feel like, like you reach those moments, but the the like on brand answer for me is like no every everything is experimenting is great yeah. and i think you know generally yes but i also love like routine and stability yeah. so there are certainly things you i think there are certainly ways to take it too far or to i think there's a way to experiment with a lack of discipline not experiment with a lack of discipline but like do experimentation with not enough discipline mm-hmm. that um it's not true experimentation, but it's easy to convince yourself that you, you're you doing it. But if you're not yeah. truly taking the time to understand what we learned and what we did, then you're just kind of, I don't know, operating in chaos. And that, that feels bad. And I think sometimes maybe we don't uh, spend as, enough time to really get clear about what is the actual thing we're experimenting with here and how will we know if it's going well or, or not. Uh, I think we've gotten better at that over time. But, yeah, there are some things where it's, you know, you just want to know that this thing is set and I don't need to think about it anymore, at least not for a while, um, and I can focus on something else. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, I mean, it's it's true. There's tons of experimentation in farming, too, and we've talked about that. But, like, I know that my seed starting process or something is, you know, essentially the same. You know, I found one that works, you know, depending on the farm I'm at and, like, I can, you know, there's a lot of things where I can now go like, I know what I need to do. Um, we're not experimenting with how this thing is grown. I know exactly how many rows I'm planting of this crop at this spacing, like, you know, that kind of stuff yeah. that we have a very it's nice to have that. Yeah. Very similar thing actually, where a couple of years into the ready, I felt like we were starting every project very, like in different ways or like every time we'd start a new major project, it felt like we were just starting from scratch. And now yeah. 
feel like we have figured out our kind of first couple of key moves and that we do almost probably 95% of the time with a new project, a certain type of yeah. workshop that we do, a certain couple type of meetings we do, um, the, the first couple of moves. And that that is has been nice to feel like I know what I'm going to do when I get into this organization. And then from there, based on how things go and what emerges in those um, in those meetings, in those workshops, will adjust from there but the first couple of beats are already figured out yeah yeah so makes sense cool all right well, well you keep I'll watching watch that see if it. anything else uh jumps out to you as interesting or or worth uh worth talking about and maybe we'll uh, either finish it up next week or maybe drag it out a couple episodes who knows yeah we'll throw it in the notes again in case anyone else wants to to, to follow along or get in the uh Get in some of their homework for the next episode. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if somebody had a question, if they if you watch that video and you have a question that you want us to talk about, uh, we don't even have an email address, do we? No. I guess email me, Sam at samsperlin.com. Yeah, that's a good way and to we'll do it. Get your, uh, we'll get your question uh, live on the air. <laughs> you could be the first ever. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> we'll send you a medal. Yeah. Trophy. Well, maybe, yeah, some, maybe something I find on the farm or something. That you get like a farm, could be farm like a dead snake. No, I was I was just thinking like a tick? Cool rock. Max like cool will rock. send you a tick that he pries off of his body. Oh yeah, that's precious. Ugh. Have you have had any ticks yet? <laughs> still, still none. <laughs> still none. And that's actually I will say it's a little bit more impressive now because one of the things I didn't mention with the flooding was um, the cows were luckily totally okay, but their pasture is along uh, the river and actually where two of the rivers come together. And the water really came up into their pasture. Um, and obviously you can just tell how much of a current there was carrying all this stuff. So we went out there because their fence, uh, just metal fencing, was buried along the riverside in like four feet deep of logs and sticks and wow. trees, like all kind of crushing. The, it was just incredible to see the amount of stuff that was there. I mean, we brought in uh, like a bobcat or like a skid steer to, to literally pick up all of the stuff just to, to free the fence. Um, and I, w- I was down in there and that helping on Sunday, um, free up the fence. And I was expecting for sure to be, uh, to be covered in, covered in ticks, but I was totally fine. So, well, well congratulations. Tick repellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, hope it stays that way. This has been fields of work. Talk to you again next week. Sounds good, man. Later.